Now, I'm a big fan of a podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show. I listen to it religiously. I don't really ever miss an episode. I just really like it. Um, and this guy is um, a sort of, um, he made his name as like an author on sort of, he calls it lifestyle design. It's like sort of self-optimization. It'll test like everything. So in terms of, um, I don't know, what exercise is the best for doing this or what um, routines are best for getting the best quality sleep or like diet types. So they'll test things like loads, test loads of things and then sort of uh, give his um, opinion on what the best is. I just sort of like like listening to it and then don't follow any of the advice really. Um, but uh, he does a podcast where he sort of does interviews with various people from a wide range of different um, occupations from like musicians to um, sort of data analysts to um, philosophers and so they're just interviews. So I just find it really interesting and I, I really like it. Well, he went on a trip to Antarctica recently and interviewed somebody while he was there. Um, he'd gone on the, the trip with his friend who was like a, a technology sort of person. And they're just doing a, a conversation where they were essentially just sort of catching up but recording it and put it out on a, uh, a podcast. And they were using uh, these cards that you can get with like conversation prompts. So they were just doing this for a bit of fun. Like pick up a card and it was like, what's the greatest fear you've ever overcome in your life? And then they answered it or... Um, what's the last thing that made you laugh or whatever, like just random stuff like that. And they picked one up that said, if a crystal ball could tell you the truth um, about any one thing, what would it be? Um, so oh, this will be interesting because um, the, the, the sort of breadth of information and knowledge that uh, Tim Ferriss has on such a wide variety of things, like what on earth will he come up with? And the other guy um, who was interviewing was the person who uh, founded WordPress, which is like a sort of technology thing that uh, about a third of the internet runs on. So they're like really knowledgeable in certain areas. And I wonder what would be the, like, the one thing they'd find out about. And they both went for the same answer, which ve like was really surprising to me, which was what happens after you die? Because they, they never really talk about that sort of stuff. They're not um, religious. They don't really talk about religion and that sort of thing. Um, but they both said, oh, if we could know like definitively like the truth about what happens when you die, that's what I would go for because... As they said, there's no way of finding that out, like through experiments or whatever. There's no way of knowing it. And so if we had the opportunity to just find out one thing, um, that would be the thing um, that we would find out. Then they went on to a brief discussion um, about the sort of various um, options and their own thoughts on what it might be that happens after you die. Um, and uh, one of the, the, uh, the other guy on there um, said he'd once been to like a meditation retreat where they'd encouraged him to... Uh, remember what it felt like before he was born, and then that would be the same as what it would feel like after you die. And he said uh, he found that quite difficult because he can't remember what it was like before he was born, so it didn't really help him. Um, but he seemed quite taken with the idea that whatever it was before he was born, that would be what happened after he died, but he was none the wiser on what that was. They talked a bit about uh, reincarnation and what they liked and didn't like about the idea that um, you die and then you come back as, as something else. Um, they talked about something that was... Uh, sort of, uh, they seem quite taken with this idea of um, you sort of, when you die, you get just absorbed back into the universe like a drop of water going into the ocean. Um, they, they sort of quite like the, that, that imagery. Um, they talked about the idea that you just shut down like a computer. I'm looking down, is Rory downstairs? That was, that, that's something that I've only ever heard from Rory that he um, had, had told him when he was younger um, that you just sort of, sh it's just like a computer shutting down, unplugged, the systems are ceasing to, um, exist. And then they said um, that they could understand that the sort of what they described as the Judeo-Christian idea of 
and this is just what they're saying, um, of burning in hellfire and brimstone, they understood how that could be an effective motivation for people um, in terms of how they live their life, but how it didn't really work for them, and neither did disembodied bliss like work for them as an idea. And they said the reason why, like, well, Tim Ferriss said, the reason why he really wants to know this is not just for a bit of information, or like he, he thinks he can't know it, but he, the reason why he would know it if he could is because it would totally transform how he lived his life now. If he could have certainty about what happens after he dies, then the decisions that he made now would be made on the basis of that. And then they sort of just said, yeah, there's just like no way of knowing, and then they moved on to the next question. Now, what we are saying, uh, like as Christians at Easter, is there is a way of knowing. We do know the events of Easter are the answer to that question of what happens after death. Now, they, despite thinking that they'd covered the Christian worldview in that little um, discussion that they had, they didn't come anywhere near it, as far as I was concerned. But they were right in that what happens will change everything. They were absolutely right that when you know what's happening, that changes everything that's going on in your life now. And that's what we're going to look at today. I think it's a massive cause for celebration. I think it's absolutely brilliant news. We talk here often about the news, about who Jesus is and what he's done. is the best possible news for everybody in any situation. That includes everybody that's in here this afternoon, including me. I think this is absolutely brilliant news. As I've been preparing this, I've just been thinking, I can't communicate how good I think this is. Like, I could be doing cartwheels up here, and I, I'm still not communicating. I mean, my cartwheels would definitely not communicate um, how good it is. I just want you to know, this is absolutely brilliant news. Um, despite what my natural resting face may tell you, um, this is absolutely uh, brilliant news. So, um, in chapter 15 of the letter to the church in uh, Corinth that Paul writes... Uh, he, this is the, the, the sort of most dense description you get of um, Jesus' resurrection and what that means for us. Um, and I've just chosen to start um, in verse 20 today. Um, we've skipped some of the stuff about the resurrection, which you can read yourself, but we're just going to have a look uh, starting from verse 20. And he starts in verse 20 by saying, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, this is in response to, he's saying, some are put, saying about, did the resurrection happen? or what? Like, and he's just saying, look, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's where he's starting. That's what we've been saying. That's what Ben was saying earlier. That's what we've been singing about. That's what we believe as Christians. That's what started the thing that we call Christianity that we're a part of. Um, it's what's resulted over like 2,000 years of us having a lot of slightly weird traditions that we're not sure about, but celebrating Easter. That, that's a reason like, why we're doing it is because we're saying that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We're not just saying this is like a little lesson or a little um, like fable that has a, a good meaning for us. We're saying that he was really dead, Jesus was really killed, and then three days later, he's really alive. He physically came back to life. His body came back to life. Not just that he died and then his spirit went off to do some things, but his body came back to life. He's a ghost or a spirit or a force. There was no body left in that tomb. His body came back to life. That's what we mean by resurrection. That's why the early Christians started to use that word resurrection. If, if it was a ghost, they would have said, oh yeah, Jesus' ghost came or Jesus' spirit, or we started seeing him in visions. That's not what they said. They said he was resurrected, he was raised to life. He actually physically came back to life. That is what we believe as Christians. 
He ate food, like after he'd been resurrected, he ate food with the disciples. He wasn't just some sort of disembodied spirit. He ate food with the disciples. He tells Thomas to touch him, touch his wounds to prove that it's him. Jesus actually says, um, I'm just going to read a little section from Luke 24, where Jesus makes it clear that it's a physical resurrection, that he's not just a spirit uh, floating around. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself, touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, um, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, they, like they think this can't be true. Like it's good to be true. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus is saying to them, I'm not just a, I'm not just a vision, I'm not just a ghost, I'm not just a, a spirit that's floating through here. It's really me. It's my body. And that's what he's proven to them there. He didn't leave the physical, his physical body behind. He still has that physical body now. And he will return. The Bible tells us he will return with that physical body. So that's the first thing that I want us to be clear on. Is That's my first point, is that Jesus was resurrected. He was raised from the dead. Now, it might seem obvious, is it? Why, why are we saying that? But that, that is what we believe. That, that is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian and what it means that we're looking forward to. Jesus was raised from the dead. And if we keep reading in verse 20, because I cut it off halfway um, through the sentence, it says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For in, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Jesus' resurrection is described as the first fruits. That term first fruits means that there's a lot more to come. So like when they're gathering in the harvest from the field, they'd offer the first fruit, like the first fruit that they'd harvest to uh, God as a sacrifice, but it's in anticipation of all the rest of the stuff that they're going to harvest. The first fruit means there'll be second and third, and like there'll be more fruits. Jesus was the first fruit of resurrection. He's showing what is going to happen with us. It says in verse 22, all will be made alive. And in verse 23, it spells out, Christ was the first fruits. Then when he comes back, those who belong to him, that's Christians, they'll be resurrected. If you're a Christian here today, somebody who's trusting in Jesus, not in their own performance as a good person to be acceptable before him, but trusting that we're forgiven by Jesus' death on the cross. If you're a Christian, if, you, if that's where you're at, then that means you come into that category of those who belong to him, who will be made alive. You will be resurrected in the same way that Jesus was. Jesus, we said, was physically resurrected. He actually came back to life with a physical body. In that same way, as a Christian, you will be physically resurrected one day. That's the, that's the great hope that Jesus gives us that, that started on that first Easter Sunday. That he was raised from the dead, and that shows us that we will be raised from the dead. Physically. That's the hope we have for the future. It's not the typical view that was expressed in that interview of disembodied spirits sort of floating off for eternity. We're not going to live for eternity as disembodied souls or spirits floating around. 
We're going to spend eternity living in physical bodies in the new creation, a renewed, restored, redeemed earth. A writer called John Bloom said, God is not content to give us an ethereal heaven where we'll live as a great gathering of disembodied souls. God originally made this creation very good, but since it's been corrupted by sin, he now intends to make all things new. An essential part of this new creation is the reunion of our purified souls with our new resurrected bodies. That's the hope. That, that, that's what, uh, when that interview was taking place and they're saying, oh, well, there's no way of knowing what happens after we, after we die. What I'm saying to you is we do know because somebody came back to life. Jesus came back to life. And that's telling us what is going to happen for us. That's our future. That's our hope. That we'll be raised from the dead. That we'll um, be living in perfect physical bodies on a perfect recreated earth. Like, what, what an amazing... I'm, I'm not communicating how good I think it is. It's like, what an amazing gift that is. What a hope that is. It's like, unbelievable. Just think to the times where sometimes you're feeling so frustrated and you know, just sigh and think, oh, it's just, it can't be how life's meant to be. You'll never have that because all those things won't exist because we'll be living the life exactly as how, how it was meant to be. Then on the other hand, think about the times where if, if this ever happens to you where you just sit back and think, man, what a gift this is. Like something happens to you and you say, oh, what a gift this life is. Like it might be because I was a bit sleep deprived last week, but I had a couple of moments like that where I was feeling overly emotional, just thinking, what a, what a gift God's given me. Specifically about like the three boys that uh, he's given to me as, and Lisa as a gift. I was just thinking, like, overwhelmed, just thinking, oh, what a gift this is. Well, those times where you're overwhelmed with how good life is, that's barely scratching the surface of what, what it's going to be like. It's unbelievable. What, what a gift it is. What a hope it is. Now, naturally, we start thinking, oh, well, how exactly is that going to work? Like, what will this body be like? What will the earth be like? There's loads that we don't know about it. Other than that we know that it's living in a world with no sin, no pain, no sickness, no death. Like, will we be eating? Will we be doing that? Like, we don't know. But if we just think of the creative goodness of God that we experience now, it's only going to be more of that. I'm just saying, will we be eating? I don't know whether we'll be eating, but just think, we do eat now. And just think, like, we haven't, like, God hasn't created us with just sort of food pellets that give us the required amount of energy. He's created all these ingredients that people creatively put together in endless variations and combinations of delicious food. That's the creativity of, and goodness of God that we experience now. It's only going to be more than that in the new creation. Think about like music. Like It's the same notes, but they get put together in different combinations that produce like new varieties of new songs and music that moves us to like dance or, or cry. Like, that's the creativity that we experience of God. Now, it's only going to be more than that. Think of the beauty we experience. Think of the connection with other people, the love that we experience. All of that, like the greatest things you have ever experienced, the greatest things you can possibly imagine, are like just a shadow of what we'll experience in eternity with him. Like, it's unbelievable. And that's actually not the greatest, the greatest thing about it. The greatest thing about it is that we will be with Jesus. We'll be in Jesus' presence. We're no longer just getting little glimpses breaking through of what it's like to be like loved by him and what it's like to experience his grace. We'll be just living totally immersed in his presence. That's the Christian hope. It's not that you'll return, you'll be reincarnated as something better or worse, depending on how well you've done in this life. 
It's not that you're absorbed back into the universe like a drop of water in the sea. It's not that your systems just shut down and you just go to sleep. It's not even that you'll experience disembodied bliss forever. Our hope is that there's life, real, abundant life, amazing life after death. And we know that because Jesus has been raised from the dead as the first fruits. And we are the second and third fruit. We, we are the other fruits. I just think this is absolutely brilliant. If you're not a Christian today, like that hope is freely available to you. It's not just like saying, oh, me and a few others, like we've got this hope. And look, if you, like that's freely available to everybody. That's what Michelle was saying about the cross. Like we all stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross, not deserving anything. We bring nothing to Jesus. We hold our hands out empty-handed and just receive his forgiveness, receive his acceptance. That's available for you today. It's got me fired up. I just want to sing Manasaurus three times and then skip all the way home. <laughs> like, but I have got two other things that I'm going to say about implications of, uh, the, of that for, for the rest of our life. It's a, like, what an amazing hope that is. I, like, I hope I've just communicated like a tiny bit of it to you. Two implications from that. Firstly, that it means our physical bodies matter. Physicality matters. Jesus was raised physically, not just as a spirit. We're not looking at life in this sort of idea that the spiritual stuff, like the spirit is the real us, and the, the physical stuff is just still the sort of things we have to put up with until we escape. That's not the, the worldview of the Bible, of Christianity. Our culture doesn't really know what to do with like physicality or physical bodies. We can overvalue it where we tend to idolize the body and, and it takes the place of God. And so people can be obsessed with how the body looks and they either just um, devote, devote their attention and time and effort to uh, getting the body how they want it to look. Or on the other side of that, just feeling shameful because their body doesn't look like how they want it to look. Or it could be just trying to do everything to extend human life as long as possible. Or using technology in different things. Like how can we use technology to enhance the body and just live as long as we can? That's overvaluing what the body is that, that God's created. But then, on the other hand, we can undervalue it. Well, it doesn't really matter. Our bodies don't matter. They're only temporary. Like They're going to last a period of time. Do what you want with them. It's just like a meaty container for the real you that lives down inside. The teaching of the Bible, the teaching of Jesus, isn't either of those two. Our bodies are a good gift from God, good, a good but broken gift, like every other gift that we have from God, that will be eventually restored. Uh, Paul uh, addresses this idea in verse 35 of, of chapter 15 there. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and a star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. 
It's raised a spiritual body. When Jesus was resurrected, his body had some continuity with his previous body and some discontinuity. There's some things similar and some things different. He still had his crucifixion wounds because he encouraged Thomas to, to touch them. So that was the same. But then he wasn't always immediately recognized by the disciples. That was something that was different. He could appear, it seems, in, in locked rooms. That doesn't mean that his resurrected body was just a spiritual, like, floating spirit that could float through the walls. It just meant it was different. As this would say, it was better, more glorious. It had more splendor. I once heard it described as like, imagine, how, how did Jesus get into the um, locked room? It's not that he was less physical, it's that he's more, like, or less real, it's that he's more real in the same way that you can poke a steel bar through a waterfall. It's not that the steel's less solid than the water, it's more solid. That's what Paul, I think, is getting at with this seed idea. So he's sort of saying, like, your body now is like a seed that's going to be resurrected. The tree that grows, I mean, he gives a, a variety of different things. I'm just going to go with tree because my gardening experience is very limited. Um, the tree that grows from a seed, it's not unrelated to the seed, but, like, looking at the seed, you almost can't imagine how it became that. The seed has the raw materials, the tree grows from it, but the tree's so much more, so much better, that you almost can't believe, if you're looking at the seed, like, how did that become this? I think that's what Paul's getting at. He says a perishable body, that's what we've got now, becomes imperishable. The weak body is raised in power. Now, he does say the natural body becomes a spiritual body. That doesn't mean the spirit just floating around without a body. The language that's used there is to talk about like where the power comes from that sustains a body. We, when we're resurrected, we'll no longer be drawing from our, like, our own limited, finite reserves that we use to sort of do things now, but we'll be fully empowered by the spirit. That's what he means by the spiritual body. It's not that like the soul is the real you and it gets picked out of this container that's perishable and then put in a new one. Somehow our bodies now are the seed for uh, the resurrected body. God takes our bodies and renews, recreates and redeems them. It says in Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the, have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies matter. We need to receive our bodies as a gift from God. Like every other gift, it's good. And God has given, to, given our bodies to us for a purpose. And we want to steward our bodies in the same way that we want to steward every other gift God gives us, to, to use them in a way that honors God and glorifies Him. And then we understand that our bodies are broken. Like everything else in the world, we suffer the effects of sin. They're limited. They get injured. I was playing basketball with Zeke this morning and like went to do a, like a brilliant move that would have got past him and then dropped the ball because my leg was like sort of pulled up and like went down on my knees. Like we're limited. These bodies are limited. It's a broken gift. We get injured. We get older. We get ill. We die. But it's not just that. The way we think about our bodies is also broken. From the teenager who's taking like endless selfies just to get the right one to post to the person who's just feeling full of shame every time they look in the mirror. We recognize that um, our bodies are broken and limited and the way we think about them is broken and limited. And we need to receive, like, we receive that gift of redemption from Jesus. We know that our bodies will re be redeemed. 
they'll be transformed, they'll be resurrected. And our future hope isn't based on an assessment of how well our bodies work or how good they look, but on Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits of our resurrection. Earlier in the same letter, Paul said this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's what we do. We receive our physical bodies as a gift from Jesus, and we attempt to glorify God with our body. Now, those words come in a section where Paul's talking about sexual immorality, but they apply to everything that we do with our bodies. Our bodies matter. What we do with our bodies matters, and so we need to glorify God with our bodies. And then the final point is just to say that it's not just our bodies that matter, but what we do, like what we do matters. We're not just waiting, killing time to escape this life and float off to heaven. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies to live in a redeemed creation. What do we do while we wait? Well, Paul says that at the very end of this chapter. So we skip down to verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's just gone through a full chapter here about the resurrection. It seems strange at first. Like, why is he saying, therefore, this based on the resurrection? But it ends with this because the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, our future resurrection, means that the things that we do now matter. Our labor for the Lord is not in vain. One author said, because our bodies in the earth are good, the things bodies were made to do on earth are also good. Work is good. In Genesis 1, God commanded the man and woman to exercise dominion. God wanted people to unearth all the inherent inherent gifts he planted within the world for us to discover. Jesus is going to return one day and his kingdom is going to be sort of fully realized, uh, fully complete. And that's the resurrection that we've been talking about. But that kingdom, we're not just waiting for it. It started now. God's kingdom is anywhere that Jesus' rule and reign is experienced. And we're working in that kingdom now. And we'll be working joyfully in that kingdom for eternity. Tom Wright, who's like the, the king of this stuff, says, the purpose of this new body will be to ru- rule wisely over God's new world. Forget those images about lounging around playing harps. There will be work to do and we shall relish doing it. All the skills and talents which we've put to God's service in this present life, and perhaps too the interests and likings we gave up because they conflicted with our vocation, will be enhanced and ennobled and given back to us to be exercised to his glory. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, all these things will last into God's future. They're not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind. They're part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Paul says, because Jesus has been resurrected, physically resurrected, we'll be physically resurrected to live on a a renewed earth for eternity, then we should give ourselves fully to the work of God. What we're doing is not in vain because it's going to continue into eternity. Tim Keller said, everyone wants to be successful rather than forgotten. And everyone wants to make a difference in life. But that is beyond the control of any of us. If this life is all there is, 
If everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun and no one will be around to remember anything that has ever happened, then everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we will do will make any difference and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to nothing. Unless there's a God. If the God of the Bible exists and there's a true reality beneath and behind this one and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. That is what the Christian faith promises. If death's the final word, then what's the point? But death isn't the final word. Jesus has been raised from the dead. We'll be raised from the dead. So our work isn't in vain. We're servants of the risen king. The the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Without it, there's no point to anything we're doing. Read read verses 12... Um, onwards um, that I didn't read earlier on to show it's not just me saying that. Paul says like, if, the, if the resurrection um, didn't happen, then we're wasting our time here. It, the resurrection changes everything. It changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we think about what we do. It changes absolutely everything because our destination, our end point is known. We've got a great hope for the future, a glorious future in glorified bodies, in a glorified creation giving glory to God. Let's pray.